So let's look at Romans chapter 6, and uh, let's pick up in verse 12. And we'll just read down through verse 15. I'd encourage you, uh, I do this with the teenagers, maybe, maybe the adults are not as uh, excited about homework, but I would encourage you to go back and read the whole chapter. It's a, it's a beautiful chapter, lots of, of great theology, and we're going to tap into a few verses tonight, but I think the whole, the whole chapter really uh, is something that will benefit you as you think about this, this journey uh, towards these two choices. Okay, so let's look at verse 12, and let's read that together. I'll read aloud, you read along in your seat to yourself. Quietly. All right. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity for us to open your word tonight. Lord, there, there is so many powerful thoughts from this passage. Lord, I pray that you would guide my thoughts tonight. May, may your word shine forth. May it be an encouragement to your people. May we all take things from this passage that we can apply to our lives. And Lord, as we, we journey into 2022, may we consider these choices day after day. May, may we choose to love you. May we choose to obey you. May we choose to submit ourselves to you. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, let's start with a few facts about this journey, um, and, and those are found in verse 12, and then we'll move into a few of the choices. So first of all, the facts of the journey, sin will reign naturally. That is, that is the fact we want to look at. Look at verse, uh, verse 12. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. So where, where does sin reign? Well, it, it reigns in our mortal body, okay? This, is, this isn't really the main thought of this passage here, but I just thought I would bring it up. It's really interesting that it says mortal body. Isn't that intriguing? Sin cannot reign over your Im, immortal body. I mean, think about this. If we, we're, this is a great place to start because it gives us hope before we get to the, the negative thoughts of this passage. But the, the hope is that as a believer, someday we're going to be perfectly pure. Our body will be holy. It will be perfect. It will be without sin. Sin cannot touch us. Isn't that an encouraging thing to think about? There's coming a day where we're going to stand in glory with Jesus Christ, as, as Pastor Burdick was talking about. We are going to see the smile of Jesus we will be in his presence, therefore there will be no sin in our body. But Paul's reminding us, even just with this simple word choice, that in our mortal bodies, sin can have victory over us. As a matter of fact, what, what we find here is that sin, not only does it, does it reign in our mortal bodies, but really it, it doesn't take anything in order for that to happen. So the next question I wrote, where does sin reign? It reigns in our mortal body. And, and by the way, as a transition, so to speak, into the second question, which is how does sin reign? Well, we do nothing. Th think about this. The verse says, let not sin. It, it's so important for us to consider the fact that let is giving us the choice. We have a choice. Let not sin. Well, how does sin reign? Well, we, we don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. It's your choice, yes, but, but really your natural, your natural selection in that choice is to choose yourself. If you do nothing, if you don't, if you don't make a choice, so to speak, well, I'm not going to make a choice, then you're choosing yourself. You're choosing yourself. The, the idea of behind reign, by the way, is, is obviously connected to someone seated on a throne or in control of a kingdom, 
It, it assumes the, the sense of complete sovereignty over all that it controls. Well, if that's true, then the believer has no business allowing sin to reign or rule or control over their life. If we are a believer in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, if we, if we call ourselves a Christian, someone who represents Christ, if that's who we are, then we have no business allowing sin to have reign over us or to have control over or to have a rule over. So why would Paul say this? Why would Paul bring it to our attention? If, if we have no business allowing sin to have reign over us, obviously Jesus Christ is our king and he rules over our life. If that's true, then why does Paul say this? Well, I, I believe Paul says this because you and I have all tasted of this. We've all experienced this. Paul says this because man's natural bent is always towards sin. If we do nothing, sin is gonna rule. And isn't that a slippery slope? Sin is such a slippery slope. It takes a strong focus on Jesus Christ to keep us from sliding down that slope. Uh, I, Dr. Tom Farrell, uh, uh, the man that, when he was preaching, I trusted Christ as my savior under his preaching, okay? So Dr. Tom Farrell, an evangelist for many years, uh, he, he went home to be, be with the Lord this year, uh, 20, this past year, 2021, but he used to always say, say, sin will take you further than you wanna go, and it'll keep you, and I'm, I'm gonna mess up this quote, but he, he would say, sin would always take you further than you wanna go and keep you there longer than you wanna stay. And how true that is. Sin is something that will destroy you. And, and in really, you, you don't even realize how far into sin you are until, until you are faced with the word of God. And it, it brings to our attention the ways that we are walking down that path of sin. And so tonight, uh, here we have this idea of how does sin reign? Well, we really don't have to do anything. We're just gonna start sliding down that slope if we're doing nothing. It's the choice that we're making. Then, then we'll finish these facts that we really have to understand before we begin this journey by, by addressing the question, when does sin reign? When does sin reign? Well, uh, sin reigns when we give in to our lusts. So think about this. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. This is an interesting word that we find throughout the New Testament. The natural thing for man to do is obey your lusts and allow sin to reign in your life. This is essentially the sin cycle of life. In the believer's life, we're aware of it, right? The Holy Spirit prods us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit points out the ways that we've begun to, to journey back into this sin cycle where we, we are choosing sin and, and thus we choose sin again and, and, and then we, we give in to temptation and then we, we fall to sin again and, and we, we just get on this cycle where we feel like we're spinning our wheels or, or maybe you could say you're backsliding or you're sliding down the slippery slope. Whatever analogy you want to use, we find find ourselves through the conviction of the Holy Spirit stuck in, in where sin is reigning over us. So how does, how does that happen? Or when does that happen? Well, let's consider James chapter one. It says in verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So we know that temptation to, to, to fulfill our lust is not coming from God. Okay, so where is it coming from? But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So lust is really the avenue that leads us into temptation, that leads us to falling to sin if we give in to that temptation. Okay, so here we are, uh, kind of in football season. I mentioned I was watching Baylor Ole Miss last night, and, and I don't know how many of you are football fans, and I'm not going to try to make this whole message about football, but I, I do enjoy watching football. There, there are some elements of football that are frustrating, um, especially, you know, as an NC State fan, we don't uh, often have success as a football fan for NC State, but there, there is just something about watching a football game that is enjoyable. 
And um, it's, it's kind of funny, this year my wife and I were both participating in the same fantasy football team, or football league, and uh, we actually made it to the championship, and so we're playing against each other right now. And she's winning right now, by the way, so just let the record be clear on that one. Um, so what we end up doing a lot of Sunday afternoons as we're dozing on the couch is, you know, kind of watching our fantasy players play. Even though we have no interest in the team, we're watching those players play. Well, one of the things that I find interesting about football, uh, besides fantasy and playing with my wife, is that in every football game, there is a game plan. Okay, so now this was not as, this was highlighted for me when I was a football player. You know, every, every week, Monday, we'd watch film on the previous game. Then we would watch film on the team that we were going to play this week. And in that film study, we would finish the film session, and coach would say, now what we take away from that, and he would un... Okay, this is showing my age, but he would, he would hit the little... What do you call those things? The um, screen that was... You know, you could... This is like uh, pantomiming for... Uh, like one of those Christmas games you play with your family. Anyway, so he would hit that thing, and, and then the whole chalkboard, I know that's, I'm not that old, but anyways, chalkboard would be full of all of the, the game plan elements. You know, number one, do not allow number 10 to catch the ball. You know, he, he scored 130 yards last week, so we're not going to let him touch the ball. He's going to score four touchdowns against us if we, if we let him touch the ball. Number two, when the quarterback fakes the handoff to number seven, he always throws it to the right. Okay, so we have this game plan. Are you guys following this line of thinking? Why? Because we want to be successful against the opponent. I find it interesting that when it comes to our spiritual life, we don't do the same thing. You ever think about that? If you start reflecting over 2021, did you have a cycle in which you fell to the same temptation over and over and over again? Did you find yourself saying, I can't believe I gave into that temptation again. I can't believe I gave into that sin again. Did you find yourself in 2021 saying, where did that come from? And yet, when you look back over the year, it really was the same thing several times. Well, maybe it's because we're not doing a good job of coming up with a game plan against sin. Because if you look at James chapter 1 again, it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. I love that word because as a bass fisherman, I enjoy bass fishing. Um, I, I enjoy the process of learning what is attractive to fish at certain times of the year uh, and, and what makes them, you know, act the way that they do. And one of the beauties of bass fishing is that bass are just instinctive. And so they, they will always react the same way. So once you learn something about them, um, even though you would think, I fooled them this way yesterday, I probably can't today because they're going to know better. They don't. They just operate instinctively. And so one of the, one of the things I really enjoy is I really enjoy throwing a spinnerbait. Uh, I, I just think there's something more, you know, engaging about throwing a spinnerbait. Now, some of you are like, I have no idea what that means. Well, what that means is I, I throw a lure with a, you know, obviously it's connected to a rod and reel. Okay, so I throw that lure out there and I get to reel it in pretty quick. And I get to do that over and over and over again. Whereas if I throw like a worm or a jig, you know, you kind of throw it out there and you just kind of sit and wait for the fish to come by and hope that he thinks it looks like something realistic and eats it. But when you throw a spinnerbait, you throw it out there and you reel it in and then that bass has no choice but to react. He just sees those, the, it's called a spinnerbait because it has these little blades that spin. Okay, and, it, and the bass sees that blade and goes, huh. And it just eats it. It, it can't help it. And some of you out there, this word enticed, it's like that. It's like, it can't help it. It just looks so good. I have to eat it. Now, it's pieces of metal, okay? <laughs> There's just pieces of metal floating along, and that bass just, 
annihilates it. Why? Because it's instinctive. And some of us are doing the same thing spiritually. Here comes sin. We're like, well, it's just a piece of metal. I, I shouldn't eat that. It's not going to be good for me. It has a hook in it. And yet we eat it anyways. Because we don't have a game plan. We're allowing those things that are attractive to us to entice us over and over again because what we find about lust is that lust is tailored to each of you just like fishing lures are tailored to specific types of fish. If I threw that same spinnerbait out off of the beach, I highly doubt anything would eat it because they're designed for bass. They're not designed for sharks. Well, listen, what you're tempted with may not be the same as what your wife is tempted with, what your children are tempted with. What, you're, what the people around you are tempted with, and that's why it's so important as the body of believers to, to encourage each other, to stand strong against the wiles of the devil. Listen, this year, put a game plan together. When, when is sin gonna reign when we don't have a game plan? When will sin reign in your life when you give in to your own lust? When, sitting, when sin is sitting on the throne, that makes it so much harder for us to say no to our own fleshly desires. So this journey then will lead us to two choices that I mentioned before. The choice is to either yield to sin or yield to God. So look at verse 13, it says this, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. So let's look first of all at the choice that you get to choose and that is will you choose to yield to sin? Let's just, let's just break down the passage itself. It says, yield ye your members. So let's talk about yield your members. The idea behind this Greek word of yield is to place a person at another's disposal, to be at hand, to stand ready to serve. It, it kind of has this idea of like a, and, and, and essentially I'm just trying to explain the word here, but if the word yield is like a king standing there and there's a person right beside him and the king says, oh, can you grab that? And the guy goes, Brings it back. Okay, servant-minded idea here. The, the person who is at your beck and call, right here at your right hand, ready to go. Yield. I am the one standing beside, ready to go, ready to do whatever you ask of me. Well, that's an interesting concept when we think of sin. Because the, the truth is, if we do nothing, if we go back to our facts about this journey, if we do nothing, then we will naturally just yield ourselves to sin. Sin is sitting on the throne saying, go do this, go do that, go do this. It's like the fishing lure going by. You have to react because you're instinctive. When, when sin is on the throne, you're just reacting. You're just doing whatever sin says. You're just following the commands. So there, here's that cycle forming again. You choose not to yield to sin and then sin won't reign, but if you choose to yield to temptation, then you fall into sin, and then you, you fall into temptation, and then you fall to sin, and then you fall to temptation, and you just fall down this cycle. You get on this cycle. How do you get off? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. Okay, so yield your members. Let, let's keep going. It says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Uh, whew, let me read that again. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. So let's talk about instruments. This word actually means a tool or maybe sometimes an instrument of war. So when we, it, this is an interesting context to, to pull another passage in on as well. So think, think with me to another passage that talks about instruments of war, spiritual warfare. Okay, go to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Maybe you want to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. But Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewithal you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So as instruments, this is the idea here, it's the opposite. So Ephesians chapter 6 is saying, use the instruments, the, the, the weaponry that God has given you and equipped you with in his word to stand against the devil. But the reality is when we're choosing to allow sin to reign on the, the throne of our hearts, so to speak, when, we, when we're allowing sin to have rule over us, now our weaponry, our, our weaponry is not the, the weaponry we found in Ephesians 6. The weaponry we really find is, is that of the flesh. And that is unrighteousness unto sin. So we embark on this journey of yielding to the flesh and we will, we will end up doing things that are unrighteous. This is the opposite of the characteristics that a believer should be demonstrating. In essence, we become a part of the enemy. Often, think about it this way, often we're doing more damage than the enemy himself when we, as one of the, the part of God's army, are choosing to join the enemy, now we're doing more damage than if we were actually part of the enemy. I mean, this takes me back to my high school years, and, and, and again, as a youth pastor, I'm often thinking this way in reference to our own teenagers. But think about how many times in your life, when you were a teenager or adults, uh, a friend who called themselves a Christian said, join me in, and the activity that they were asking you to join was something that was uncharacteristic of a Christian. Well, as a believer, when we are engaging in unrighteous actions, we're not just affecting ourselves, we're affecting all the people around us. Because we are pointing people now, we are saying, follow me as I follow Christ, but really, you're not following Christ at all, so now you're leading people astray. So sometimes when we, we, when we choose to, to journey down this path towards unrighteousness, not, not only are we influencing ourselves, but we're also influencing others in such a negative way. This is obviously not the main thought of the passage, but have you ever considered the repercussions of choosing sin? I mean, how many of the stories of the Bible revolve around that thought process? Think about how many people in the Bible died because someone made a sinful choice. Not just righteous people, but even think about those who were, were quote-unquote believers. I know in the Old Testament we wouldn't necessarily use that terminology, but someone who was part of the children of God, part of the children of Israel, or the king of Israel, or et cetera, et cetera, who did something, and as a result, many others lost their lives. Okay, let me give you an example. The first person I thought of was Achan. I mean, Achan looks around. I mean, they're spoiling the city, right? They're, they're collecting all these things, and they're supposed to give it all to the Lord. And Achan says, well, that looks pretty good. I'm just going to take it for myself. It's not that big of a deal. Nobody else is going to see me. And maybe even some other people were doing it. Of course, the Bible doesn't record that. Maybe, maybe other people around him were like, well, it's not that big of a deal, Achan. Go ahead. I, I don't know. I mean, that might be a little bit too much liberty with the passage. But either way, Achan justified it in his own eyes. And he takes it to his tent and he hides it. It's not that big of a deal. The people of God go out to fight against Ai and, and people lose their life. Have you ever thought about it? Sometimes we look at that passage, and, and, and not to discredit this, but we look at that passage and we think, man, Achan's family died. 
Can you imagine the sorrow of, of Achan as he looks around at his, at his wife and his children that are, they're, they're being stoned to death as well, along with him. The, they, his family died, but can you think about all the families in the camp that day who didn't have a dad because Achan sinned and all of their parents died in the battle of Ai. See, sin doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just affect me. Sin affects many people that we touch and that are in our lives. Because sin always takes us further than we want to go and always affects us deeper than we ever want to admit. David is another example of this. When he numbered the people, how many people died of the plague? Korah deceived many people in the camp and they're all swallowed in the earth. How many more stories could we go through in the Bible where thousands of people lost their life because of the deception or choices of a leader they looked to that was either a part of the children of Israel or a part of the, the church? Well, how many people in church history can we look at that did the same? That led people astray in their theology? Led people astray through the, the actions that they took? Our, our decisions are important. Romans chapter 6 says, if, if we aren't careful, if we're not attentive, if, if we're not paying attention, then we will choose to yield to sin, and our bodies will then become instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. So in conclusion to the negative side of this journey, so to speak, when we do nothing, we live in submission to the reign of sin, which causes us to become tools of war against our own Savior. So, that's a heavy statement, but in contrast to that thought, let, let's take a look at the opportunities that we have in Christ to choose a different path. And here we go into 2022, and my prayer is that you and I, we would make the choice to choose this path. The natural choice is to go down the path of sin and to leave sin reigning over our hearts and allow sin to lead us to more lust of the flesh and more temptation and lead us down a path where we stay in this cycle of sin. But Christ arose he's victorious over sin and if we are in Christ then we can choose to follow him in his path and reject the path of sin so I know I just gave away the secret but in contrast to the the path of sin we can choose the path of yielding to God yielding to God it's a daily choice that we must make and we find it here in chapter chapter 6 verse 13 again it says neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, we're not dead in sins any longer, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So we're gonna do the opposite of letting sin reign over our life. We're gonna choose to walk in the life that we now have in Christ. This morning in Sunday school, uh, we, we looked at 2 Corinthians 5, um, 17, that there, we're all new creatures in Christ. Well, hey, we're in a new year, 2022. This year, you can choose to be who you are in Christ. Whether you're 12, 27, 57, 107, this is a new year, a new chance for you to say, I'm going to be who God wants me to be in him. I'm going to yield to him. I'm not going to yield to myself anymore. I'm not going to yield to sin. I'm going to choose to yield myself to God. And so what we find, though, is that this yielding to God really is a daily choice. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Isn't it interesting to think that the devil is not going to come to you one time and then leave you alone for the rest of your Christian life? Some of you have lived a little longer in the Christian life, and you could attest to this. 
You, you can attest to the fact that, that temptation may change through the years as it, as it molds to your personalized uh, lust of the flesh, okay? So temptation may change through the years, but it never goes away. Sin will never stop knocking at your door. Temptation will never say, okay, that's enough. We, we're going to give up. The devil's not giving up. He's alive and well, and he's going to do everything he can to destroy you and the church. So what are you doing in your game plan to prevent it? Well, I hope and pray that you'll choose to do as James 4, 7 says, that, that where we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How, how do I do that? How do I submit to God? How do I yield to God? Well, Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By the way, that applies really beyond just young men. It, it really is any age bracket. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Then Galatians 5 builds on that statement. It says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not on the law. We yield to God. This is really simple. I know this is, <laughs> it's Sunday night at the end of vacation uh, nobody's brain is fully engaged yet. So really simple statement here, but a powerful thought for 2022, and that is that we yield to God by reading his word and obeying it. What a great time of year to stop and, and consider how will I read God's word this year? Maybe this is the year you say, I'm gonna read all the way through scripture. I know Pastor Burdick's been mentioning it. I know we've been highlighting it. There are reading plans in the lobby. There's a lot of technological reading plans for those of you who are younger and enjoy that type of reading plan. There's a lot of ways to engage reading scripture this year. Do it. Teenagers ask me all the time, what should I read this year? Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I also give them some, some good examples, but the key, the key thought that I want you to walk away from is, yes, read your Bible this year. Engage the word of God. Let it permeate your thoughts. Let it win the victory in your home because it became the priority in 2022. How, how do I live in a yielding to God way? Well, I've got to read my Bible. But I think also if we look back at Psalm 119, it says, by taking heed thereto, not just, not just hearing the word of God, but being a doer of the word of God, James chapter 2, 1, excuse me, James chapter 1. Don't, don't just read the Bible and do nothing about your life. Change your life to reflect the things that you read in his word. Yield to God by reading his word and obeying it and putting it into practice. By the way, this is a really interesting contrast when we consider the first choice where we said that the natural thing to do is just to do, even if you're doing nothing, the natural thing in your flesh is to just give way to sin, right? Well, think about this. As a believer, if we're choosing to yield to God, it's actually the natural thing to do if you're walking in the Spirit. Yielding to God, submitting to God, obeying him, obeying his word. When you're walking in the spirit, it just makes sense. It's, it's actually the natural thing to do as a believer. If you're walking with God, if you're right with him, the natural thing to do is submit to him. It makes sense. It makes sense if you are submitting yourself to God daily. If you're walking in the spirit, it makes sense to submit to his plan for you. If we think back through Romans chapter 6, we won't, for sake of time, read all of the verses, but if we think back as those that are alive from the dead, we are, a fact, we are in fact alive in Christ. And because we are in Christ, then we should live like we are in Christ. 
If we claim to be a Christian, then we should act like Christ. It will only be natural. But then again, if we start thinking about how in the world is that only natural when our flesh is so bent on sin and lust and and temptation, how is that natural? Okay, this is like the moment in the message okay this is the this is so powerful that we we titled a song amazing and the next word is grace it's grace how in the world is this going to become natural how can walking in the spirit be a natural thing that's polar opposite of what i'm bent to do as a human being how grace grace Look at the verse again. It says, verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace. Romans 5, 20 and 21 say this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. How on earth could it be natural to walk in the Spirit? Only by His grace. Only by the riches of the grace that God provides day in and day out. But by the way, before we, we finish this thought, we need, to, we need to go into bonus round coverage here, okay? So it's like going into overtime in our football game we've been talking about. Before we, we end the possibilities of this journey, there really is something we ought to consider, and that is you have to draw some correct conclusions. Don't let Satan deceive you. Look at the, look at the very next verse, verse 15. It says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Don't look at it and say, oh, Grace! Wow, this is awesome. I can walk in the Spirit and then go and live in sin because you have grace. That's not the answer. The answer for grace is not that you will continue sinning knowing that there's grace. The fact that you're in Christ and God sees Christ and not you is not a license for you to go out and do whatever you want. It it is really something completely different altogether. Paul's warning us of the deception here that Satan is trying to use. And that is that when, when grace covers our sin, it gives us license to sin. No, no, no. He says, God forbid. Quite the opposite. When we see God's grace, it helps us stand in amazement of how great our God is and worship and praise him for his goodness to us. And then walk in obedience to his commands as a result. Because when we love God, then we love his commandments. He said that. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, so let's just look very quickly at how Jesus, or excuse me, Satan likes to use this as a, as a form of, of deception in our lives. Don't let Satan deceive you this way. When Satan came to Jesus, think about this. When Satan came to Jesus, what did he use to tempt Jesus? Well, he used scripture. <gasps> That's a scary thought, isn't it? You know, sometimes we tell, I, I, I've said this many, many times in teen Sunday school classes and youth group, and, and maybe you've said this to your children, but I've always quoted this. What did Jesus use to defeat Satan? Scripture. But have you ever thought about the other side of the coin? What did Satan use to tempt Jesus? Scripture out of context. He tried to use God's word in a, in a wrong way, out of context, to, to deceive Jesus into falling into the temptation and giving in to sin. 
So be very careful. Paul is warning us of these deceptions that Satan uh, likes to use against us. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What then shall we sin? I'm, I'm skipping from verses 1 and 2 to verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Don't be deceived by the great deceiver. Just because you're under grace doesn't mean we can sin. And, and just because it seems like a good idea because, wow, God's grace. We see that all throughout the New Testament. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Let's go and do what we want. That's not of God. That's of the devil. God's plan was never for you to continue in sin. God's plan for you is to live in righteousness, to walk in righteousness, to live like he is, to be holy as I am holy. That's God's plan for you. So don't be deceived by the devil. Don't think that just because grace exists, I can live however I want. No, but be constrained by the love of Christ to live in a way that honors and pleases your Savior which, by the way, is the motivation for the obedience to Christ. It is our love for him. If you keep reading on this passage, you're going to find that just as something will reign, either sin or righteousness, so is there a reality that we are always going to be serving someone. We're always going to serve the one that we love. We're either going to serve the, the, ourselves or we're going to serve Jesus Christ. And as Dr. Zach pointed out this morning, sometimes we just need to evaluate what it is that we truly love. Do we love the material possessions or maybe it's, maybe it's popularity or we love other people's opinions or we love getting good grades or, or whatever it is that you are seeking, you love it, you are passionate about it. Is it leading you to sin or is it leading you to Christ? If you are passionate about God, what you will find is that you are serving him with your whole heart. If we love ourselves, if we, love ourselves we will serve ourselves and our own desires. But if we love God, then we will serve him and we will serve him in a way that pleases him. Tonight, we've considered several elements in a journey that we call the Christian life. And I would I'd be willing to say that this year, just like many other years, maybe even all the other years we've ever lived, it will hold all the same opportunities as we have seen in the past. And that is opportunities to make choices along the way to either yield to God or yield to self. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't get out of the battle this year. Live in a victorious reign in Christ as you were designed to do. Live in victory over Christ. Spend this year living in victory.